hearts up to the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia. Spread the news that he is joy. Alleluia, alleluia. Sing to the mountains, sing to the meadows, sing alleluia, God is joy. Lift your hearts up to the Lord. Come now to Friday and the theme of Kriya Yoga. As I said earlier, my name is Hariman, and with my wife Padma, we're the privileged to be the directors and uh, serve at the Ananda Seattle community north of here in the Rain Belt. And you know, the Bhagavad Gita tells us that God will take any form that the devotee holds dear. And Swamiji, by example and training, is has encouraged us to reach out to people in ways that they can relate to. So when we first went to Seattle many years ago, almost 20 years, 19 years or so, I began to tune into the fact that you couldn't go down the aisle at Sunday service without tripping over a Boeing engineer or a Microsofty of one sort or another. And so as we began to teach these more esoteric things, I realized, well, maybe this would help. So I'd say to them, you know that mighty rush of wind you feel and the roar that you hear and then you look up into the sky and see the new 787 Dreamliner lifting off from the Boeing factory and you say, oh my God. Well, it's a little bit like that. <laughs> and then when you try to visualize Divine Mother or God in some form, well, I think it helped them to think of, think of Bill Gates. Now, he is virtually created a new world for us. And Kriya Yoga is very much like working on the operating system. In order that the software of our desires and attachments might work inefficiently or efficiently according to where we're going spiritually. You know, Paramahansa Yogananda was very bold in his assertions and as the years have gone by I've grown to appreciate just how bold he was in his time. But one of the things that comes to my mind for today's purposes is he declared his work and his teachings the second coming of Christ and a new dispensation. Now for the first one, he, I've often been surprised he wasn't crucified, but for, the, but for the second one at least is directly pertinent to my thoughts here today. We live in a time when people like you and I 
come together and decry what we see, sectarianism and fighting. I, I was born in the uh, flower child generation, and if you've ever seen the movie Forrest, Forrest Gump, you, uh, I, I was there in the summer of love and various things like that, and a few years later got tear gassed in Berkeley during the Vietnam riots. And so we had many hopes in that time, and I can't say very many of them have been fulfilled because the law of creation and duality are such that good and evil will continue to vie and go back and forth. The only way out is in. And those of us who can imagine a world of peace, and though it may not exist outside of, it does not exist outside of ourselves, Kriya Yoga has come, as Yogananda put it, the time for knowing God has come. And so this week we've talked about how to achieve success through magnetism, health and vitality, how to be happy all the time. And Swami Kriyananda spoke of his, really what I believe will be his epic work, the Yoga Sutras. The path of Kriya Yoga, the technique of Kriya Yoga, for it is both a technique and a path, is firmly rooted in the great work of Patanjali who brought together, if you will, the ancient teachings far back in the dim mists of history beyond his own time and life. And now in this ascending age of consciousness, we're gradually trying to unravel the knots. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to read the Yoga Sutras, but they're both abstruse and obtuse and very difficult. And so I've been thrilled in my opportunity to read some of the uh, draft manuscript that Swamiji has written. So many things have been clarified and my own work in Seattle and by my own interests, I suppose, uh, I've given many courses in the Yoga Sutras and have been saddened really by the fact that I had no resource really uh, of my own gurus, Yogananda's masters, uh, on which to um, rely in sharing what in effect is our path, the Eightfold Path. Kriya Yoga has its roots in Patanjali and in the ancient teachings. And so a new scripture has been born truly. It was in a sense, more than in a sense, in fact, the missing piece of Master's work. He wanted to write a commentary on the Yoga Sutras, but for reasons that I think are only now perhaps becoming clear, or will become clear, he never got to it. And so Swamiji here, in the latter years, the twilight years of his life, has been blessed to give us this great jewel, this great lotus. And so Kriya Yoga then, it's, a, it's an interesting it's interesting in this, if you read chapter 26, entitled Kriya Yoga, of Master's Autobiography, you see that he speaks of Kriya, he says that the word itself, Kriya, uh, comes from the same root as the word action, or karma, as we say. In my years of study and practice, and having gone to India uh, various times, and, and in Swamiji's teaching of us, we learn that Kriya is a very generic word, and this has puzzled me for many, many years. I mean, he could have come up with something a little bit more flashy, like Kundalini Pranayama or something, but instead, Babaji, Lahiri, Sri Yukteswar, and Yogananda gives us simply a word, Kriya. 
And for all practical purposes, so far as I can tell, and this is a thought I, I, I can't say I've heard Swamiji say, but as best as I can tell, the word is synonymous with our word technique. It means, by and of itself, very little. In fact, there are many kriyas. There's tilabhya kriya, which is designed to help stretch the tongue to, to uh, practice the, the great and powerful mudra of Kechari mudra. There's um, navi kriya, which we teach as a way of opening the manipur chakra, the fire element, which is, in a sense, the portal to the inner world of the chakras and shashumna and so forth. It's a foundation technique. There are many, many kriyas. There's a, an amusing story. Swami Kriyanandu is blessed to spend a great deal of time with Anandamui Ma, the woman saint whose life is depicted and, and told in the autobiography of a yogi. And one time they were speaking of meditation and of kriya, and Swamiji, in order to clarify what he was saying, used the phrase, my kriya. Anandamui Ma smiled and laughed. He said, no, my kriya! But in fact, you know, Yogananda was once um, praised by someone who said, you're a very good salesman. And he says, that's because I believe in what I sell. And indeed, when you read the chapter 26, Kriya Yoga, many, many people come to the Ananda centers and so forth, inspired and excited by that chapter, wanting to learn Kriya Yoga. And he's a very good salesman. And yes, it is for everybody. But of course, it's very subtle as well. This puzzlement of mind, kriya, why is it so generic? Why does it not point to anything specific? It is a specific te uh, technique as we have learned it, certainly. But I think its genericness relates to something um, our friend here, uh, Ananta McSweeney, has now become somewhat famous for when he once said that the spiritual path is three or three and a half feet long, meaning our spine. And in a way, the genericness of the, that term serves both to remind us that it's for everyone, but more deeply than that, I think, it is telling us that, as in, in, Yoga, in Yogananda's uh, description, translation of the Rubyat of Omar Khayyam, I think it stands a 31 or so, he talks about the only path to God, to liberation, is through our own nervous system, through our own subtle spine. And thus, kriya is generic because there's only one way out, in, and it is for everyone. Now, of course, we know many of you are very sophisticated in your knowledge of the world and the internet and so forth, and so we know that there are many kinds of kriya taught, uh, different lineages and so forth. Uh, a few uh, of the members here the other day were talking about how blessed they felt for the fact that here at Ananda, we've really gone to great lengths to support Kriya bonds in their practices, to support the practice of meditation generally. And in my own work with people, you know, I think of a railroad track, if it's just 1% off one track to the other, the further out you go, the further apart the tracks get and the train falls off the track. And um, in, in my own work, the students and so forth, we having the opportunity to work one-on-one, -on -one especially with people, to help clarify the techniques, all the techniques, in fact, energization, Hong Sa, Om, and Kriya, and so forth, the four basic pillars of the path of Kriya Yoga, I've, uh, I've grown to appreciate uh, the importance of, of checking in, if you will. 
I think of all the classes I've taken, many of us here have taken with Swami Kriyananda on something that seems as simple as Hong Saw and all the different points and angles of that practice. I have never, ever been bored with any of these practices because in truth, these four pillars are all Kriyas because the essence of Kriya is to reverse the searchlight of the senses back into the doorways of the chakras, into the deep spine, retracing our steps, the steps by which this body, this, the hardware of this body was created. And as, as it were to run a virus program on the software, the matrix of our karma. Uh, Yogananda uses the more ancient analogy of the astrology of the chakras, being the lower chakras being six and 12 by duality and every Kriya breath revolving around the uh, Shashumna being equivalent to a year of natural, harmonious, spiritual living as a way to explain in sort of psychophysiological terms the, the acceleration effects of Kriya on our spiritual path. But the software analogy works fine for me. I'm from Seattle and it just sort of works. And so we run this virus program eliminating the worms and the Trojans and those kinds of things from our software that it may run more efficiently towards our home in God. Spiritual teachings down through the ages have always been and always will be used in certain ways to improve our health, to improve our uh, success. And this is counseled by the rishis and the masters. If we seek such things as we do in Hinduism, they speak about um, uh, artha, possession, and kama, pleasure. And these are all the states that, the, that we go through. And we, we must needs go through these states lest we will never discover, will never have an incentive to discover. Because I think of Mahatma Gandhi takes success. Yes, he freed India in a revolutionary act that will ripple down through the, or up through the ascending ages of how to deal with social reform, for example, nonviolently. But what do you think he felt on the day of his assassination when communal violence Millions of people were on the move. Thousands were slaughtered brutally. I don't think he felt much success at that time in his life. Success and failure therefore alternate. We won't get out of this body alive, we know that. Whether death comes early or death comes late, the issue is how do we cope with both victory and defeat, with life, with death, with pleasure and with pain. And Patanjali gives to us that. I think, I believe, I have always felt that the greatest sutra of all of them is yogas chitta vritti nirod. Yoga is the neutralization of the likes and dislikes and the reactive process. Because we come now to the breath. In the opening paragraphs of chapter 26, Yogananda says that cosmic, the secret of cosmic consciousness lies is inextricably linked to the mastery of the breath, breath mastery. He also says this is India's deathless and unique contribution to the world's treasury of knowledge. We cannot see at this time what, what this means. Kriya Yoga, 
will spread to all nations, is spreading to all nations. It is for everyone, regardless of affiliation, because it is, opens up to us the direct perception of our own true self, of God. And breath, you know, Jyotish used that wonderful analogy of the um, ram. If you've ever been to one of those water parks where they create the waves, it's really quite a lot of fun. And, um, and they create these waves. Well, that's what this is, the diaphragm. You know, our karmas, our vrittis are innumerable. Like Swami often talks about when he asked Master about even a desire for an ice cream cone. I can tell you I'm in big trouble. I'm a big fan of ice cream. But I like the one where he says, when ecstasy comes, everything else goes, because I'm thinking about my morning coffee. It's, uh, you know, you can't really live in Seattle and not like coffee to some extent, or at least tolerate it. And so I'm hoping it'll go then. Until then, I'm hanging on for dear life every morning. There's Kriya, and then there's coffee. I do them in that order, but nonetheless, there it is. I don't care what Diksha said yesterday about coffee. <laughs> she said I shouldn't feel guilty, and I don't. <laughs> of course, that's why I, I uh, do a chaser of wheatgrass, right? <laughs> you can ask Padma. Well, we yogis got to have some fun. There's not much left for us to do, right? <laughs> And so this process of breath, it's, it's such a perfect kriya, a perfect technique. Even Hong Sa, energization, om. Om is listening to the sound of prana. And although we don't technically call Hong Sa a pranayama, it is indeed a pranayama. For the purpose, and kriya, of course, is a pranayama. The purpose of all pranayama is to transcend the breath into breathlessness. And as that ram pushes the waves and so forth, no matter what those vrittis are, the process of them, what traps us, is the process like the baby taking its first breath and screams its heads off like, oh my God, I did it again. I came back. I've got work to do. And so it is. When we attune ourselves to the breath cycle, we get in touch with the ebb and flow that gives rise to our capacity to contact objects of the world through the senses and through the physical body. This is breath is life and life is spirit. And focusing on the breath, calming the breath through various pranayamas of, of all the, these different types is how we bring the breath closer and closer to stillness. I, I think back to um, I came after the fire uh, here at Ananda Village, to which you hear frequent references, the fire taking place in 1976. And when I arrived, there were no homes, and as I like to say, fewer jobs. <laughs> and uh, we were very desperate. Padma and I uh, bought a house in town on Zion Street in Nevada City, and our 100-year garage was transformed into the garage of the eternal religion. And at one point, we had 40 members in town needing to start new businesses and find jobs and have places to live. And uh, in, in our accounting practice one day, a woman walked in and 
said, I'm looking for some tax advice. She said, uh, my husband's been uh, contracted, since movie's a theme this week, has been contracted to um, be a consultant on a Hollywood movie. I said, oh, really? And um, she said, yeah, his name is Chuck Yeager. And uh, he's the test pilot who broke the sound barrier in, 19, in the 1950s. And uh, the movie was, is the right stuff. And so um, I remember from that movie, uh, he, the test pilots of his day, they really did not know what would happen when they broke the sound barrier. They didn't have a clue. Or what would happen as they uh, reached the outer perimeter of the atmosphere. And the phrase he used in the movie was, the, they called it the demons, okay? Many pilots would black out and, and would crash and die. The mortality rate was pretty high in those days of experimentation. And so what happens is our breath begins to subside. Just as plastic can conduct electricity as it reaches near absolute zero, as we reach near absolute breathlessness, we become a conductor, a superconductor. We reach the portals of superconsciousness, soul consciousness. But there awaits us there also demons. Those demons are our fears. It's uh, like the story, I, I think it was Vivekananda, but I'm not absolutely sure. doesn't matter because it happens to everyone in meditation, even in lesser degrees. But you reach that doorway, you reach that portal, and so, so often you say, well, what about my mother? Who's going to take care of her? Or what about this? What about that? What about some unfinished desire, unfinished karma? grabs us by the throat, if you will, and pulls us back down. And so the power of concentration on the bindu, on the kutasta, on the, this portal, this doorway to soul consciousness is the basis of all of our pranayamas, all of our kriyas. And kriya yoga, and you know when you take kriya initiation, you don't drop doing energization or stop doing the om technique or stop practicing hong sa. These pillars are all interrelated. And so when we reach that point, as we become closer and closer to breathlessness, this is where the grace of the guru comes in. You know, if you give a child a gift and they get all excited about it when they open it up and run off to play with it, you sort of smile and so forth. But you know, if you give a a precious gift to a loved one, you, you sort of don't expect them to run off to their room and say, whoopee, this is cool. You understand, or that the receiver understands that the gift is an expression of your love and your commitment to them. And so in our technologically oriented um, mindset, culture, we too often, people coming and wanting Kriya Yoga, I find all too often, think it's some sort of magic rock or like the keys to the dad's car or something. It's the keys, all right. Yogananda said when Jesus said to St. Peter, I give to you the keys of the kingdom, he said he was specifically speaking of Kriya in one form or another. And so the key, you know, the, the Kriya key, even with energization, for example, sometimes, you know, I know people have like... like um, Gyandev was saying yesterday, people have difficulty relating to uh, learning. It's difficult enough, the energization exercises. Relating to their value is, is challenging, it's new, and so forth. 
I think that will change. I see that it is, in fact, changing as people become more energy aware. But in any case, I've sometimes counseled students to, okay, you're having difficulty. Well, you can practice energization as a form of devotion. And if you're of a certain temperament, if you must, bottom line, the only thing I can reach for out of my bag of tricks is, well, do it as an act of holy obedience if you must, but do it. But nonetheless, you see, all of these techniques are, I don't want to use the word just. I'm on a campaign to eliminate the word just from my vocabulary. But all of these techniques serve like a cell phone as a way of receiving the vibration and consciousness of the guru. Now, I know others will talk more deeply about this, but I, I don't want to talk merely about the technique and have you imagine, as so many do, too many do, that, ah, once I take pre-initiation tonight, I've got it and I can run. I'm often saddened by those who come to us and fulfill all the outward requirements of their Kriya training, get their Kriya technique, and we never see them again. Oh, I suppose if they reach cosmic consciousness, I'm, of course, happy for them, but I, I can't say I've seen any such cases of that. You see, it's, it's much more complex than that. These techniques serve as a cell phone transmitting the message of moksha, the message of satchidanandam comes through those techniques. And whatever it may be, kriya, energization, om, hongsa, if we practice these techniques, I, I sometimes, when I'm not doing so well with things, I'll say, Master, you know this technique better than I do. Why don't you do it and I'll watch, okay? Sometimes he does, and sometimes he says, you, you got to do it. But whatever it may be, however, whether you visualize as, as Swamiji and the, the scriptures of India counsel the, the guru on the lotus in the heart, or as Swamiji has said sometimes, he, he's had uh, success visualizing master seated in lotus pose at the sasra, at the crown chakra, and so on. Uh, there are so many. Um, you know, once we take the inner path, the inner path guides us. These techniques guide us, but they guide us because they are a living link to the masters from whom they've been given. This is the secret of the Kriyas. But nonetheless, I find time and time again, no matter where we go with the techniques, because I think people of intelligence um, and devotion naturally experiment a little bit with these things, though we don't really talk about that. But I, as I said to someone the other day, time and time again, come back to the basics. Come back on retreat, relearn the different techniques, have someone check your kriyas and so forth. Keep checking in. It's, it's like Hong Sai, the mind wanders. Keep bringing it back. Keep coming, keep coming back to the basics. We are very, very blessed in this way. And the new dispensation of which Paramahansa Yogananda said, that he came for is a movement that, imagine 60 years after the death of Jesus Christ, how, as Padma might say, how nebisha, how nothing was the movement of Christ's disciples in the world, the impact. Well, we're seeing an impact. This is Dvapara Yuga. It's happening much more quickly. But that thought that the salvation, the solution, as Lahiri Mahasaya said to all of our challenges in life and our successes is within us. As Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within us. And this revelation, and it's nothing short of a revolution and a revelation, 
to mankind which is coming out of its sleep and its indifference and priestly secrecy to reveal the true self, the true light of the soul. We are greatly, greatly blessed. <laughs>